0: Welcome to Be With Champions. I'm your host Greg Bennett, and today I chat with Timothy O'Donnell. And To Timothy O'Donnell has been a good friend of mine for well over a decade, and, and I've watched this guy progress slowly but consistently over this last ten to fifteen years. And what's incredible about To is he's maybe not as talented, the raw talent that I've interviewed on this show, you know, for the past sort of eight nine episodes. But he's somebody that's just really wanted it. He's kept his dream alive and he's stayed consistent. He's had numerous setbacks. He's had numerous bike crashes. He's had, he's broken his foot a few times. But he's always been able to keep going. And what I enjoy about this chat is he gives enormous insights into – the ways, the small things that he's been able to to change in his life and do, the little biohacks from using the hyperbaric chamber, uh, his halo headphones and, and his Ultra G running treadmill to keep his body going. And over the years now, he's turned himself to become one of the greatest Ironman athletes on the planet with only four men ever breaking eight hours at the Hawaii Ironman. He's now one of them with his second place performance in 2019. And it's a real joy for me to see a really good friend worked so consistently for so so long to be now be regarded as one of the greatest iron man athletes on the planet if you love this show i'd love you to share it um give me any reviews any feedback greg you talk too much or we want to hear more from the guests or blah 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 you let me know but um enjoy this one he's a he's a character he's got quite a story and uh there's a lot to learn from it so thanks for listening everybody All right. Today's guest is one of the world's greatest Ironman athletes. His performance at the 2019 Ironman World Championships in Kona, Hawaii of seven hours, 59 minutes and change was the first American to ever break eight hours at the event. And he's one of only four men to break the eight hour barrier. His ITU World Long Course Championship title in 2009 set the stage for him to become one of the world's all time greatest endurance athletes. Since then, he's had an incredible resume of performances at the Ironman World Championships with a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth, and an eighth place finish. He races with guts and combines that with smarts, never afraid to go off the front, but always calculating. You'd be hard-pressed to find a better man to spend an entire day with. Train all day and then share a few of his amazing bottles of wine and sit back and listen to some classic John Denver on his vinyl record player. It doesn't get much better. A great friend, a true champion, welcome to the show, Mr. Timothy O'Donnell. How are you, mate? Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks for the kind
1: introduction. Now I'm wishing I was at home in Boulder with the uh, the wine wall and, and the and the record player. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, have you restocked it since I was last there? No, oh, it's always,
1: there's always something coming in.
0: I <laughs> know, <laughs> oh, that's a special wine. Uh, when you guys built that house, I, I love the fact that you basically designed the home around your, your wine wall. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, that was the first thing we told our children.
0: Yes. That was that was awesome. Well, it's fantastic to have you on the show, mate. So, uh, for thanks for joining me. I I kind of started this podcast because I was hard tracking down a lot of my mates to you know just chat on the phone for an hour. So I said, you know what, why wouldn't I just start a podcast and just have you guys forced to to sit and have a chat. <laughs>
1: I love it. Yeah, you got a, uh, quite a Rolodex. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I want to start by just going back and, and, and looking at 2019 because it was one of the most roller coaster years I think I've ever seen an athlete go through. Um, incredible highs and, and really tremendous lows. So take me through the year of how that kind of went for you because it's just amazing to, to see.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I had some hiccups in 2018. Uh, start of the year, I broke my foot uh, early January. I was in a boot for eight weeks and ended up having a great race in, in Kona. was fourth. And, uh, you know, I, I figured the, kind of, the, you know, the uh, tide had changed, and I was really getting excited to have a proper build into, into 2019 and really see what I could do. Um, and everything started off pretty well. And then in March, when we were uh, down here in Australia – I was in a uh, uh, bike crash and broke some ribs and got uh, pretty beat up, and that just kind of put me in a spiral for the next couple months of trying to get to the start line and qualify for Kona, and um, while also trying to get healthy. And uh, yeah, it was rough. I didn't I didn't get to the start line until June last year, which is uh, incredibly late. I'm usually ra- uh, racing, you know, early to mid March, so um, slow start and. Um, yeah, I felt like I was starting to get back into the swing of things in July, and uh, having some great training, and uh, was really ready to focus down on Kona. And then seven weeks out from Kona, I broke my foot again. Uh, turns out it hadn't healed properly, and I actually um, it was basically just the break in my fifth met was held together by scar tissue. Basically, it hadn't the bone hadn't calcified. So um, I found myself seven weeks out from the World Championships in a boot, and really not thinking I was going to be able to even start the race
0: what i loved about that year is that you kind of the the pressure you had to qualify um for those that don't know for the professional athletes in ironman racing you have to qualify every single year if you win the race you do get to just validate each year which means you have to finish an ironman the next year to to just qualify and validate your spot for the following year and you get that for five years but if you're on the podium first second third or oh, second, third, excuse me. You get to just have to validate for that following year. You finish fourth in 2018, one step off the podium, and you were forced to go through the whole qualifying process, which means you know you've got to pick the right Ironman, try and get first, second, depending on how many slots are available. First, second, third. Every Ironman has a different amount of slots, and and it's it's very demanding for an athlete to figure out how to get to Kona kind of Ironman. I mean. Once you've qualified, fine, you can sort of get yourself in, in your head around sort of um, getting ready for Kona. But what I also love is, you know, you've you've finished second at Kona Ironman uh, last year. You finished fourth the year before with both incredible races and both of them you had a broken foot leading into it. And I'm just yeah. wondering, is somebody going to put a sledgehammer to your foot for 2020?
1: <laughs> yeah, we actually have it in our training schedule for this year, broken foot on this date. Um, yeah. No, but you know, it's it's interesting, um, uh, GB, we were um, – I think actually maybe even you and I talked about this. Uh, when the new qualification uh, program came out, I they, we basically said, yeah, some poor schmuck is going to get fourth place and have an amazing race and not – it's going to be nothing for Kona the following year. And then, you know, I finished fourth in 18 and I'm like, oh, great, I'm that schmuck right now. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it was I, – I had – I was a little um, – I was actually, I had a little bit of like resentment and I was just a little bitter about it um, mm-hmm. at the beginning of last year, just because, you know, I've been doing that race a long time. And it's like, okay, well, you know, how much more do you have to prove yourself just to get to the start line of this thing, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think that was super helpful. And at Ironman Boulder, I mean, I almost pulled out of that race. Um, I was incredibly unprepared to do an Ironman at that world class level. And Matt Hansen won. Uh, and if anybody um, is familiar with Matt, he's, I think he has the fastest uh, official Ironman time on the books. An, an amazing athlete one of my training partners. And, uh, yeah, you know, I wasn't ready to be at that level. And I, I overbiked, I, you know, and I hit the run and I, I had nothing and 10 miles. I was started the, the run first and was slowly moving back in the field. I was sitting in third and basically almost walking at this point. And, uh, I thought to myself, now I'm done. I mean, you know, my legs are blown up. I, I don't, I can't even lift my legs anymore. And, uh, and I'm like, you know what? I don't have to go to Kona. Like I'm good. You know, I had like coming, to, I was like coping with it. You know, <laughs> I was like coming to this realization. I wasn't going to Kona, uh, in 2019. And then, uh, with 10 miles to go, I'm like, you know what? Forget about Kona. Forget about your place in this race. Uh, you have 10 miles to suck it up. You have 80 minutes or whatever. If you're running slow that you, you know you have to get through to see your daughter at the finish line you know like you're going to hold your head up high and finish this race and give your daughter a hug and uh you know she's not going to see you slumped on the side of the course just because you decided that you know you, you couldn't do finish this race so uh I sort of got my act together and it's amazing once you commit in your mind that you're going to do it like that, that pulling out or quitting is not an option things change and mm. all of a sudden my legs that my quads out of that were absolutely shattered were fine and you know, I started running a lot better and, and held on to third place and got that Kona slot. Uh, so, you know, that was that was a good moment for me, just kind of a toughen up moment. And, um, you know, I'm really obviously really glad I stuck it out because, you know, it led to uh, great things later in the year.
0: It's incredible, the power of the mind. It's one of my favorite things to talk about on this podcast. And, you know, one of the reasons, you know, I truly love interviewing, you know, endurance athletes like yourself, because you have plenty of time out there on the race course and in training to really get very deep in your own head, you know, and, yeah. and, and the self-talk is just constant. And I had a great chat with Mark Allen, six time Ironman world champion. And, and, and I know is a past coach of yours, and, mm-hmm. and he, he said, I said, Oh, you're working on positive affirmations and, and visualizing and positive self-talk. He said, actually, no, all I'm trying to do is quiet in the mind. I just want it to be quiet. <laughs> He's like, if I can just be quiet, he said, that's what I just got to the point of just, I don't need to be positive. I don't need to be negative. I just need to be quiet. Yeah. And, and that seems to be a trait that the best endurance athletes in the world, you know, like yourself, you were able to turn that negative, find a positive, which can be very, very hard for people that know that are under enormous duress as you were, to find just something to race for. To, to take away any of the negative, and, and it happened to be, you know, your daughter Izzy to meet her at the finish. And whatever it takes, right? It's like whatever you can f- fill that negativity with to just keep you moving forward. And I mean, what I loved about that race was the fact that you'd finished fourth the year before, were training really well at the start of the year, broke several ribs, I think, in the bike crash, right? Yep. It, it was yep. really a hard hit. Forced yourself to get on the start line because really you didn't have much time. If you wanted to have a chance at Kona, you needed to get that slot by June, July. Otherwise, you know there was too much pressure in August for the final qualifying. Right. Race. Yeah. And with the well, new
1: slot system, if you waited till August, you know you may be out of races to. Yeah. You know, yeah. You had to go do another Ironman, right?
0: So, so then you've basically relied on your years of work because you've turned up. You know, I, I know. You know, your preparation for that race was minimal, so you really just did it. From the 10, 15, 20 years of work that you had in you and just hope that that was enough. And then your mental state of just going, right, just hold on, hang to hang yep. together. And and one of the things about you and, and anybody that's watched you race over the years, there's one word that would describe you, and that's just strength. Strong. You you are you are incredibly strong. Like if I look at Jan Frodeno who's won the race, or um, numerous other athletes, you'd describe them in different ways. But your strength is what sets you apart from a lot of these other athletes. And it seems to me like you're only getting stronger, you know, you, you, you're 39 now. And I, I still, th- you know, for me, when I t- retired at 44, I still had some of my biggest race wins at 39, 40. Yep. And for you, I think, um, I think the, it's still a lot in front of you, but t- so take me from, once you qualified in Boulder, what was that like then, you know, just an enormous relief.
1: It was, it was just like a huge burden off my shoulders. Um, you know, I was original plan was Ironman Texas in April, and then it was Ironman Brazil in May, uh, and I had to keep keep pulling out of races. Um, mm. I, to, I gave a United Airlines a lot of money last year for no flights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're loving yeah, me. Cancel flight. Cancel flight.
0: Oh, cancel flight. <laughs> oh no way. <laughs> yeah.
1: um, but uh, you know, actually, it was it was in the lead up to Boulder that Rennie's like, just stop worrying about qualifying for Kona. You're, you're obviously a good enough athlete, you can do it, but you just need to focus on getting your body healthy. And when you're ready to race, you're ready to race. Mm. And she's absolutely right. You know, when you're trying to, you know, fit a uh, round peg into a square hole, you're not going to help yourself. You know, you just need to kind of relax and kind of try to control what you can control and, and go from there. Mm.
0: And so then after that, you had i guess a small break and pick we're picking you a couple of events to get ready for for kona and um and then yeah
1: yeah, two races between boulder and kona uh ironman 70.3 santa rosa in july and then uh, 70.3 santa cruz in september and i ended up second in, in santa rosa to um sam appleton who on that course if that was a world championship race he'd be a multi-time world champion because he can just destroy that course. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, actually I had my best bike power, uh, my best ride on that course I've ever done. I've always struggled on that course with uh, just the, the, the terrain on the ride and the weather. It's usually a little cold. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, I really nailed the bike and had my fastest run on the course off of my best bike. So, you know, at the end of July, I was pretty pumped because at, off of really rocky training up until, you know, Ironman Boulder, you know, here I am in in, in great form.
0: Mm-hmm. And then what happened? Tell me the 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 next thing because I I know you you were you were on track. And then um, what happened to your foot?
1: Yes, yeah, so I was out. Um, well, good old Cottonwood doing you know the loop out there in Boulder, mm-hmm. and uh, we were doing just a build run. It was like an hour build run, and uh, awesome. I had an awesome run, like one of the best builds I've had, had all season. And on literally the last step, um, look down to like stop my my Garmin. Oh. And I, as I do that, I hit the edge of the pavement and there's like a three or four inch drop down to the dirt on the side of the road. And I just inverted my foot and uh, off the edge of the pavement and that just, bam, popped it again. So wow. I wasn't, I wasn't quite, I knew something was wrong. And I'm like, oh man, I think I might have just broken my foot again. And uh, I didn't say anything to Julie Dibbins, who's uh, in my coach right now. And uh, we were all heading to the pool. We we had a, a our squad swim was about an hour later. So I drive over to Rally Sport. Um, on my way, I get a bag of ice, park in the parking lot. <laughs> get a, I got a pickup truck. Hop in the bed of the pickup. Um, text Julie, who's on the pool deck. I'm like, Julie, you got to come out to the parking lot. And, uh, she came out and she just had that kind of like ghostly look on her face. Like, uh, um, mm. so we immediately said, all right, well, um, let's, let's go get an x-ray. So, uh, I called my doctor, he ordered an x-ray, got it. The x-ray said everything was fine. Um, so we just figured it was soft tissue, uh, some soft tissue damage and, um, kind of got back in, uh, a you know, another boot and was just letting it heal and it wasn't getting better so a week later we got the MRI and uh, that's when we kind of found out it was yeah broken again
0: and how deflating was that I mean it's one thing to have a physical injury but mental emotional how, how did you how did you handle that did you handle it well
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, you know I think I handled I, I handled it pretty well I'm, I'm not one to actually good.
0: I'm gonna ask I'm gonna ask Rini that question did he yeah, handle right. it well <laughs> <laughs>
1: You know, Rini, really, I I think one of the things Rini really loves about me is I don't complain too much. Um, so you know, I kind of I keep everything internalized, but I you know I'm also kind of a I'm a glass half full guy, mm. uh, not half empty. So, and I actually learned this from you, GV. I remember you always saying after a bad race you get 24 hours, and then it's like okay, no more sulking, you're, mm. you're back on the train. So I got the MRI at night, and the tech wasn't supposed to say anything, but the tech's like, oh yeah, that's Broken as hell, you know. <laughs> He's like, oh, I'm like, come on, dude, you're not supposed to say anything <laughs> And uh, so I was, I was upset. I was, I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, I, it's like I cannot just catch a break this year. Um, and you know, I'm 39. I, I definitely have more conas in me, but you know, not, you know, it's not an unlimited bucket that I get to pull races out of anymore. You know, so uh, I opened up a bottle of wine. Sat on the couch and Rini was out. I don't know where she was, but I kind of just gave her a call and, you know, and let her know what was going on. And um, had a bottle of wine and said, "All right, I'm going to drink this bottle of wine, and then tomorrow I'm going to get back on the horse, and we're going to figure all this out."
0: Yeah, that's great maturity, though, isn't it? I mean, that comes with age and experience too. I think that ability to kind of go, "Okay, what? How do I deal with this now?" rather than just sort of being sitting in your own misery, you know, Right. I I think, uh, and then you put a plan in place. Um, and did you have to pull out of more races then? Oh yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah. (laughs) More more flights.
0: (laughs) There you go. United.
1: Uh, Right. Yeah. (laughs) Here, have some more money. United. (laughs) Um, yeah, no. So yeah, I mean at that point you're like, okay. Um, you know, obviously, this is the hand I've been dealt. So let's figure out how to play this hand as best as we can. And what can we work on given our restraints now with the foot? So we pulled out of Santa Cruz and, uh, which at the meantime, Rennie's racing Santa Cruz. So, uh, you know, I didn't travel with her cause you know, I'm at home trying to get, you know, get the foot going and I was going to come out uh, right before the race to support her. And, uh, the night before I was about to fly out, I get a call from her that she broke her elbow uh um, so it's just like the whole family's falling apart you know
0: that, that was an amazing like lead up to the iron man world championships for those who don't know rinny um is on one of the podcasts that i've done earlier and uh timothy and rinny are, are a married professional couple rinny multiple Ironman man world champion and um both targeting to win iron man world title together um and Rini, yeah, she broke her elbow about five weeks out from Kona last year. Um, so then, okay, so then you guys, you leave Boulder these days and you go to a training camp in Kansas, right? You still committed yep. to that training camp?
1: I love it. Um, we've had a great time in Lawrence, yeah, great town. Everybody's super nice. Uh, the roads seem really safe for riding, uh, good terrain, uh, hot and humid. And it's an easy drive from Boulder. Most importantly for me, it's at sea level. And I really feel like I just need to get down to sea level now before big races, because the training that you have to do to prepare for Kona, it's just so intense. And to do it at altitude, it's a lot to recover from, especially as you get a little older. So um, I found that getting down to sea level, you know, you're in great shape. So then when you get down to sea level, you can really back your sessions up. So in a three or four week block, you can just, be knocking out all these amazing sessions and um, uh, yeah I think it's I, I, you know there's a couple athletes that have one Kona off of altitude and actually now that I think about it it might really only be Rennie uh, Craig Alexander you know he would he would be up in Boulder but he'd always go down to Kona like three weeks early so um, yeah I mean altitude is a great tool but you you have to use it as a tool you know you can't doesn't doesn't work for every application.
0: No, that's interesting. I've never heard it like that because I think it's like, you're almost using the altitude training to, to build your fitness and look at it as a fitness tool. But then when you want to get race ready, race specific, it's like, okay, let's take that fitness and let's go get race specific, um, at sea level. And because the race is going to be at sea level and I can recover better without, you know, with more oxygen and, and, and so then you you still went to Kansas last year, even with the broken foot. Were you able to, you know, you were able to swim, bike, do a little bit of running? How did that all work out for you?
1: Yeah, so swimming was all right. I just couldn't push off the walls. And then actually um, riding because it didn't kind of move that, the, the fifth metatarsal is that little bone on the outside of your foot, kind of in line with your pinky toe. Uh, and I broke it up closer towards the ankle. Mm. But, um, you know, when you're in a, a Cycling shoe with the carbon uh, bottom, you can can kind of get away with with riding with that broken just because you're not torquing the foot at all. So you're kind of keeping it in place. So I was able to ride, you know, obviously kept it indoors on the trainer because I couldn't get out of the saddle. Um, You know, I couldn't do a lot of that side to side motion that you need to do when you're riding outside in the elements. So yeah, swimming, trainer riding, and aqua jogging for a couple weeks. And then when we got to Kansas, which was maybe three and a half weeks before Kona, um, when we got there, I was able to get on a zero gravity treadmill, and mm. I'm so thankful to the uh, to the folks at KU, the cross country strength coach, um, one of their soccer trainers, you know, let me into the facilities, gave me free reign for the uh, for their Alter G treadmill, and I think that was one of the keys to really pulling that race together.
0: It's an incredible story because I remember, you know, I think we, we chatted briefly right before the race, um, in Kona and I'd seen a, a post from you water running, um, on Instagram (laughs) about four weeks and you, you wrote, you know, don't, don't worry everybody. Everything's fine. I'm like, I don't ever see you water running, so I'm worrying. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry, something is up because you were keeping it all very quiet. And, right, yeah. And I saw that and I said to Laura, oh no, what's you know what's, what's happened? And uh, you, you kept it under wraps, but then I'm like, no, nobody really wants to water run because it's, you know, what you really want to be doing, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a last resort. And <laughs> and then there it was on Instagram. I'm like, uh-uh. And then what, what I love about this story, and, and I, I think it's one of these sort of, it's going to be whether you win Hawaii three, four, five times from now, I, you know, I don't care. I still think that 2019 is a story of how you then went into the race completely unsure, but at the same time, the pressure, you took all that pressure off your shoulders because you're like, look, I've been dealing with a broken foot, you know, so I'm just going to swim and bike the very, very best I can and then just see what happens. And, and then you just put together a race that, really was a race for the ages. You you were beaten by one man who I think I told you right after the race that I he, he needs to be a part of the argument of the greatest of all time. Try, yeah, right? absolutely. Um, definitely. Part, I'm not saying he is, but, boy, it'd be hard-pressed to pick guys above him. But Jan Fredino went and did that race in a 7-hour 51. And, um, you know, for those that don't know Hawaii Ironman, it's – only until 2018, no one had ever gone close to breaking eight hours. I think uh, Craig Alexander had done it at 8.03 one yeah. year. Um, and then a couple of German guys, Patrick Langer, um, and uh, who was second in 2018? Um, uh, Bart. Bart. Sorry, he's not German either. Where's he from? Anyway, Bart or got second, and they were the first to break eight hours in very good conditions. But then 2019- the conditions in Kona Hawaii were were windy, was hot, and it was back to almost the normal kind of Kona conditions. And and you and Jan and Alistair Brownlee, multiple Olympic uh, champion, uh, Went off the front of the bike, broke away on the way home, and the three of you there you were. And I loved your quote where you said, "You know, there's three gold medals amongst this group, and I don't have any of them because <laughs> yeah, you never know, Jan, yeah, <laughs> Jan Fredino has the 2008, and then Alistair Brownlee has 2012 and 2016 Olympic gold medals, and and here you are amongst you know two of the greatest in the world that we've ever seen, um, and you're you're leading them home from Harvey all the way home, and and then you drop Alistair Brownlee and, and Jan Frodeno takes off with the final sort of 30, 40 kilometers to go. And and then tell me what was going through your head. I'm really curious. You know, When you're getting off the bike, was there any kind of concern about the foot hurting or your fitness not being there? Were, were you able to stay neutral or what were you thinking? at that Yeah, point?
1: you know, I mean, you, you take it back to like the, the training leading in it, and it was – obviously not an ideal situation, but I had this like kind of weird excitement and confidence, um, just because I was able to, my like cycling training, when you don't have to run, you can really, your, your, your riding gets a lot better, right? You don't have all that fatigue in your legs. Mm -hmm. So my power numbers were awesome. My FTP was up, um, and i was on the alter g the zero gravity if people aren't familiar it takes your body weight off so you can run at you know um 40 or 50 percent of your body weight so if you weigh 160 pounds you can run at 80 pounds if you want um and that gives you all that neuromuscular training you can really feel that turnover you get that speed uh get that muscle memory going in your legs without all that wear and tear on your body so if you have a good base going into that last couple weeks then you know Hey, maybe this actually might work. You know, I've I've never run that well in Kona before. So to me, I'm like, well, hey, you know, I've always wanted to have a different approach and I'm forced to have one now. So let's see what happens. Um, So, you know, kind of that in mind, I I hit the race, um, like you said, with no pressure. Um, It's funny when you want something like and for me, just wanting to be at the world championships when it's about to be taken away from you or you think it's going to be taken away from you, your whole perspective changes. And now all of a sudden you're just, you just have so much gratitude. The fact that you get to be part of this world championship, mm. that you mm. get to race the best guys in the world. So I was just so elated to be there and, you know, um, just so thankful to be on the start line that really put on, put me in a good headspace. But um, yeah, on the bike when we, well, when Jan went, you know, Jan made, made a little bit of a move. I think he was more trying to get rid of Ali um, than, uh, than me.
0: <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I don't know about that, buddy. I think uh, you don't have your resume <laughs> at Hawaii without people being like, hang on, <laughs> this guy's one of the strongest guys in the marathon. <laughs> but you're funny. Go on. Oh, <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, when he went, I, I just, you know, you talked about, you know, with Mark Allen kind of having that quiet mind, and I think that's very important. And I just kind of knew when, when – Jan went that that wasn't my move, that I just needed to be smart and patient. And, um, you know, Allie tried to go with him. Allie tried to bridge the gap and that shattered him. And then, um you know, Ali had ridden away from me at that point, too. And then, you know, I just was doing my thing, got back up to Allie and then, you know, kind of dropped him and held that gap on Jan. Um, but, yeah, when we hit the run, I was going, uh, you know, going into transition before hitting the run. I was definitely kind of like, OK, well, here's you know, am I going to be exposed or is something great going to happen? And right when I got off my bike, when my feet hit the land, my legs actually felt great. The best my legs have ever, ever felt um, getting off the bike in Kona. So I'm like, Oh wow. You know, okay, maybe we can do this. You know, maybe there's something here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that is because I was able to focus more on my cycling that I didn't override, you know, so many times you're in great run fitness, but if you ride too hard and you smoke yourself before the run starts, then you can't show your run fitness because you're just, you know, you're too far gone. So I think I put myself in a position that even though I wasn't in my best run shape, I was in a position to get the most out of the run shape that I had.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: I remember, you know, you talk about your bike shape versus run shape and that kind of thing. And I I remember 2017, we were doing some work together on Mm -hmm. your run and um uh, you know I, I was down on the track with you there and you you're doing sort of the 30 by 800s or we were even doing longer than that but you you know 30 35k track workouts you were running up the mountains of colorado and and your running was you were really really running very very well yep. um but by the time you got to kona hawaii in in 2017 it was like you got off the bike and it, there was no chance for you to even show you running and so yeah. what you've you've sort of figured out <laughs> through trial and error to some degree and, uh, is look, let's just get off the bike as fresh as I can, and then just optimize what I can do for the marathon, yeah. you know, and 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 that's that's really great takeaways for you sort of moving forward. And and then, Yarn was uh, a couple of minutes in front of you off the bike by that point, right? Did did you have a a thought process of okay, go after Jan, or is it look look just run your best marathon
1: yeah um so i you know i think i actually have my best races when Jan is you know when Jan and i are kind of in that race together um 2015 when i was third Jan won Mm -hmm. and uh, a little bit of a similar situation and you know i was actually i think i i was three and a half minutes down at one point then i ran like within a minute of him going into the energy lab and and in that situation i'm like okay you know you got to try you got to try to win you know and um, i ended up kind of blowing myself up a little bit and you know and losing that second spot but this year you know I I figured all right you don't know your run is an absolute you know wild card right now Mm -hmm. it's not something you maybe want to bet the whole house on you know Uh, (laughs) you know I'm not going to Vegas and putting the mortgage (laughs) on uh, black right now and (laughs) and have some sketchy run training (laughs) so I'm just like you got to be smart um Put yourself in a position that if Jan screws up, you can win this race. If not, you're going to have an amazing race and you're going to get second and it's something you've never done before. Um, so just stay on task.
0: But it wasn't just the second place. I mean, when did you sort of go – to break eight hours, like I said at the top of the show, was it's truly a remarkable feat at that Ironman. I mean, eight hours has been broken at you know various Ironman – courses around the world but at the world championships at kona with all the pressure with the very best in the world the heat and the the conditions when did you go huh i could possibly break eight hours like did you run out of transition and go right i need to do a, a certain time or for the marathon
1: yeah i uh, i saw the clock when i was leaving transition and it said uh 509 something you know 509 and change hmm. and i was like oh wow i could i could Theoretically, I could break eight hours right now, but I have to run under two fifty. And in Kona, I've never run under two fifty. Uh, but I said, okay, well, that's nice. We get back to work, you know. Focus. You're, you're not gonna you're not gonna do it thinking about doing it. You're gonna you're gonna do it by thinking about you know your process and you know what makes you run at that level. So I, I put it out of my mind. Honestly, I, I it was completely out of my mind from that point. Until uh, uh, probably about a K, 1,200 meters to go when I had come down the hill off of Balani and was doing that little out and back um, before the finish line. And someone yelled out like, oh, you got like four minutes and 20 seconds to get across the line. Do you want to break eight? (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, I do, I do, I do want to break in. Yes, I do, yes. <laughs> yes, please. Hand,
0: hand up. <laughs> and so did that mean you went down? I mean, the finishing shoot, you know, running along Alihi Drive in, in Kona is one of the sports iconic places and, you know, most athletes want to be able to take that all in and soak it up and it's not the time you want to be sprinting, you know. You've worked so right, hard for right. so long and yet I can just imagine you going – I. did you have a chance you did grab an american flag i did. I
1: grabbed the flag um and uh you know it's funny because that was actually the first time i had really got to enjoy the finish line either you know i raced well but i was just too far gone and like like just holding on and and just needed to get to the finish line that i wasn't Mm -hmm. able to really soak it up or i had a bad race and i'm like well
0: yeah, don't look at me. Up, the shame. Yeah. Yeah,
1: don't, don't look at me.
0: <laughs> that was me when I did Hawaii my one time in 2012. And two of the women had chicked me, and I was running down trying to not be in the uh, the TV shoot of um, girls crossing the line. I'm like, no.
1: <laughs> hey, at least uh, you didn't have to um, have your wife run run by you while you're walking home on uh, to the finish line a
0: couple of years That's ago. Right. I remember that, 20, uh, 2014, I think. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Rini, uh, your wife is 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 winning the race. The helicopters are above. The camera crew are on her, and and they they had to get the shot of you walking. I know. I tried you. so hard
1: to get out of the frame. <laughs> oh,
0: uh, no, that's a career highlight right there. Yeah. Um, so so then to pull off that safe, you know that that breaking eight hours, you've had to run your best uh, marathon in Kona. But there's something really special about this marathon in, in, in your household, and tell us about yeah. that.
1: <laughs> so uh, we uh, we have a little running joke uh, for the household Kona, Kona run record, and Rennie held it at, at 250. She had run 250 twice, actually. Uh, and the first year she ran a 250, I was fifth overall, I ran a 251. Uh, so that was as close as I got, but... Yeah, when I uh, I asked, I think I asked my brother uh, in the finish sheet after the you know what I'd run. He said like, you ran a two forty nine. I'm like,
0: yes, I got the run record for the house. That's all that mattered. Yeah, that's all that mattered. That, yeah. all that mattered.
1: <laughs> it was actually yeah, it actually was one of my goals. Like I I need to like yeah, I need to have the fastest run in Kona. Like <laughs>
0: yeah. that's hilarious. I mean, for those that don't know, in fairness, your wife Rini, uh, you know, I've had her on the podcast. Like I said, is probably the greatest female um marathon runner we've seen in the sport of of ironman and um uh, you know to run 250s off the bike twice she's run a 252 256 her consistency in that low 250s is um truly remarkable and and anybody that wants to watch running form it's just she she's so pretty to watch that um you know so in fairness, when we're talking about your wife and a lot of guys listening, you'll be like, oh, I can beat my wife. Uh, well, hang on. <laughs> your, your wife is a three-time Ironman world champion. Right, still right. holds the marathon record. I mean, the bar is still pretty high there, buddy. So, But I'm happy for you. I'm very happy for you. So so that's fantastic. And now, because of that, um, like we said at the top of the show, for 2020, you, you don't need to um, qualify. You don't need to you just need to validate, and you went and you—you've already validated, right? You—you you, you went and did yeah, that. Yeah, I in- headed
1: down to uh, Cozumel in November and uh, just ticked the box. And it was, um, yeah, it was a rough day. I, I ended up getting um, as many listeners may ex- have experienced themselves when you go down to Mexico. Sometimes you have to be careful with the uh, food and water. And uh, I had a little bit of a GI issue leading into the race uh, that I didn't think was too bad, but um, just made the day really hard to get in nutrition I actually couldn't get in anything on the bike so uh, I was running on fumes but oh I knew I just had to get across the finish line so it worked out
0: so now that's completely freed you up for 2020 and, and you know it, it's it's funny though I, I almost you know for you to have smooth sailing all the way through to Kona Ironman almost seems like it's got to be the wrong preparation so what are we going to do to you know screw up your life for 2020
1: it has to be something that holds me back but doesn't like it's yeah. not too detrimental you know like, exactly
0: <laughs> <laughs> we can't
1: be like oh, well, whoops we did that too, we did that too. yeah
0: <laughs> wow we we really shouldn't have taken off his legs because he does right. need, <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> All right, what what I would want to do is is actually just wind the clock right back and um and and kind of get to know you a little bit better and when did you first find your passion for endurance sports? How old were you? Where were you and what was that like?
1: So, I'm the youngest of four and we all swam growing up and I think it's just as parents out there know, it's a lot easier to take the kids to one <laughs> to one practice instead of four different practices, so You know, you kind of just get thrown into the sport that your siblings are doing, which is fine. You know, I I love swimming, uh, but I was not good. I was by far the worst athlete in our family. (laughs) Is that right? (laughs) Yeah. And uh, growing up, you know, we swam year-round on like uh, U.S. um, swimming club teams. And uh, when you're bad at swimming, you get stuck in the distance lane because – Not a lot of kids like to do distance events. So if you're bad at it, at least there's less people to beat you. And, uh, you know, so they threw me in the end lane, the distance lane. And the good thing about distance swimming is that, you know, hard work really matters. You know, when you're doing those sprint events, you know, the 50 free and things like that, it it really comes down to talent and technique. And, uh, you know, distance swimming is a little more forgiving um, in the talent and technique
0: department. So.
1: Uh, I relied on good old fashioned uh, hard work yeah. to uh, make me a better swimmer, and I and I got a lot better. Ended up being um, you know a very competitive high school swimmer, and uh, ended up then going to the U.S. Naval Academy where I swam on the uh, swim team there. All
0: oh, right, and and was it because of swimming? How did you find triathlon then? Had, were you already doing triathlon in high school and that kind of thing, or when did you start? When did you? I you did
1: like, my sports? so my older bro- my uh, older brother Thomas also went to the Naval Academy. And he was uh, a senior, my freshman year, and he got me to join the tri team. But I'd actually done the West Point triathlon in September of 1998, my senior year of high school. Um, I just went down for fun, and I was first out of the water, and got on my brother's old Schwinn. I didn't have a bike, so he—I just used his old road bike from use in like fifth grade or something. And I <laughs> got on the bike and every single person I think in the race passed me. And uh, I remember one of the guys on the Navy uh, tri team said to me, oh, don't worry, Timmy, we'll teach you how to ride a bike. Oh. Uh, so I figured it out. Um, but yeah, I was at the academy where I really fell in love with triathlon. You know, I swam my first two years and I didn't really race triathlon my freshman year. My sophomore year, I started doing some races. And I actually remember, I didn't tell the swim coach, that I was on the triathlon team as well, because he would have just lost, his, mm. lost it on me, you know. So uh, I remember having to do, I had a race somewhere down south, I think in Tennessee, maybe or something. So I did our three hours some practice Saturday morning. Uh, got a ride to the airport right after practice, flew down to Tennessee, unpacked my bike, did the race Sunday morning, packed my bike up, flew back up to the academy and then was in the pool at like, in the morning on Monday for morning session. Uh,
0: (laughs) How did you go in that race? Coach never knew. (laughs) How did did you go in that race? In You know, I I actually think I did
1: pretty well. I might have crashed, but I did a lot of crashing when I was (laughs) young.
0: Yes, for (laughs) people that don't know, (laughs) one of the topics we could spend this whole show about is TO crashes.
1: (laughs) Uh, That highlight reel would be a few episodes, my friend.
0: You know, when I retired in uh, 2016, I was kind of just thought I'd write a little note, you know, put on social media, look, I'm retiring. And and I, I I wanted to sort of add, you know, my body's had enough. And so I started looking at all my bike crashes and I started going through and I was up to like 30 plus bike crashes by the time I, I was riding this <laughs> note. I'm like, hang on, hang, I'm giving you a hard time right here, but I think- yeah, I think I was up to around thirty plus bike crashes by the time I retired. So yeah. maybe I don't know. Maybe it's just you and me. Maybe it's the good wine you're serving us. We just got right, right.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, like I like I remember like I think it was maybe a couple of years ago, like you see like a deer in the wild and you see scars on it, or like you're in the ocean and like come on a pot of like a pot of dolphins and you see scars on the dolphins and then you're like, Man, like what's happening to all these animals? Like it, and then you look down at your body and you're covered in scars too. And you're like, oh, well, they're probably thinking the same thing. What happened to that guy?
0: <laughs> look at that guy. <laughs> he could have been a model. He's ruined his skin. So so you basically, you found your passion for the sport. You've started to love it during the academy. At what point was it like, hang on, I, I actually do have some talent and ability at this sport? Was there, was there a race or a moment or was it sort of gradual?
1: Yeah, it was um, – It was the end of my sophomore year at the academy, so I had finished off the swim season, and um, I my last race. I so you know, like I said, I really liked. I always liked to train really hard, and now that I look back, a lot of times it was a detriment to me because I never really raced Mm. um, as well as I could have because I was always tired. Mm. Um, But I took so much pride in being that workhorse and being able to hang and um, you know make intervals that that I shouldn't be making, that guys are a lot faster than me are making. Um, but my last race, my last like swim race at the Academy, I had awesome swims and the coaches were like, Oh wow. Like where the heck did that come from? Like, well, I was, you know, finally rested. Um, <laughs> but then, but then later in that year in May, I went to collegiate nationals for triathlon and I think I ended up like 11th. Uh, and, um, but I was the top guy on the Academy team and that was off, off of, you know, almost no, running and biking. And I thought, you know what, I I think I could actually be pretty good at this. Um, You know, and it's an intriguing sport. So I thought, hey, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll put a little more, you know, focus on this and see what I can do. Uh, At that point, I, I had, even though I was getting faster, I kind of felt like swimming wasn't I had run my course with swimming and I wasn't going to, it wasn't going to take me to any other stage in my life. And, um, you know, I told the coach, I was the swim coach that I was, um, you know, going to stop swimming and, and just focus on triathlon. And they were pretty bummed. Um, but, uh, you know, you know, obviously, I think I made the right choice.
0: Yeah, but nobody—they didn't have anybody else to step up and do the endurance swimming, did they? <laughs> they're kind of like, ah, right, yeah. <laughs> we got a really well, talented least. squad. No one wants to do the long stuff. Yeah, right, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I was just the guy that trained really hard to swim. You know, the are uh, good distance swimmers. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. Yeah. They needed a whipping boy. Is that yeah, <laughs> they need,
1: exactly. They needed a yeah. whipping boy.
0: So, what year was that when when you realized, hey, i uh, actually? What year was that college?
1: That must have been two two thousand.
2: 2000. yeah. Like what you've heard so far? Then make sure you never miss a podcast by clicking the subscribe button now. This show is only made possible by you, the listener. And if you'd like to support Greg, please visit the Be With Champions Patreon page. Your support, very much appreciated. Now, back to the show.
0: What point in your career did you kind of go you know I, i've 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 found my passion i've got some real i think i've got some strength and talent at this point when was it that you were like okay i'm gonna go all in and give this triathlon thing a really good go well i
1: still you know had that little um thing we like to call the navy that uh i <laughs> had to balance um <laughs> you know five-year commitment when you get out of the academy but uh mm. I was actually my, my coach when I was at the Academy, um, a really good friend of mine, Nathan, uh, his, he was, his friend Alan Lay was uh, a coach for USA triathlon and he got me, he was my, uh, ended up being my coach in college and got me into some of the development programs with USA triathlon. And at the time, Libby Burrell, I think was the high performance instructor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, they weren't impressed with me, but Alan had, you know, he had some weight. So he's like, nah, this kid's going to come train with you. <laughs> wow. And, yeah. uh, yeah, that kind of, um, got me into the collegiate programs and that kind of, you know, jump started my, um, I guess, elite, elite racing and then future professional racing.
0: So how did that work then with the, the Navy? So for people overseas that may not know how it works over here is you get your degree given to you by the Navy or army or, um air force but then they require five years service or how did that then work for you going forward like-
1: well yeah so i uh i had by far the most unique naval career i think ever and my older brother thomas who is still in the navy just got promoted to captain um wow. he uh he still laughs at uh, at the good deal i got but um i actually got into grad school Right after I graduated and the Navy had a program where if you got accepted into a university for grad school and you're in the top 50 of the class and you got a scholarship, then you could go. So my first two years were at Cal Berkeley and uh, studying ocean engineering. And that gave me a chance to keep racing. And it also gave me a chance to kind of show my stuff at the Armed Forces National Championships. And uh, for those who aren't familiar, all the services actually have sporting programs And, uh, the army has a world-class athlete program, particularly in, in the Marine Corps as well, that, you know, they actually have a command where the athletes train and, you know, try to train for the Olympics. So I was at the time, you know, trying to show myself to Navy sports and position myself to get a spot into this world-class athlete program. And, uh, you know, when I was at Cal, I was able to, to win the armed forces national several times. And I think I won, I won six total, um, while I was in the service and that really, that Caught the eye of my boss, and he kind of gave me the thumbs up after I got done school to um, to uh, go into this program. So really, I became an ambassador through sport for the for the services, and did some help with recruiting and uh, PR. And um, yeah, it was a pretty sweet deal.
0: I've heard that kind of thing before um, with some of the European athletes that. You know, and you might know more about it than I do. But when I've raced in Europe, they they all tend to be in the armed forces, and they go go away for a couple of weeks each year. But they say they're in the armed forces, but what they actually are are athletes representing yeah. the armed forces and, and spokespeople and that kind of thing. So, yeah, you you really did. You so you basically created a new avenue. Has anybody else followed your steps coming out of the navy or army? Um, or yeah,
1: I think I think. Um- I think maybe a rower did it in the navy. The navy was more case by case. You kind of they didn't have mm. an, an established program like like the army does.
2: Mm.
1: So you really had to have a compelling argument with your chain of command. Uh, but I did. I did notice. Um, and actually, there's some there's some isu- or cases now with football players getting drafted in the NFL from uh, West Point and uh, Naval Academy. And I, I believe uh, the president just made an order that if you get. Um, if you get drafted in the NFL now from a service academy you can go right into the uh, NFL so that that's kind of cool because yeah. it's really a great opportunity to uh, showcase the services like I remember David Robinson like back in the day, he was a Naval Academy grad imagine if he was wearing his uh, you know his his uniform into every game and just just doing PR for the Navy like that would have been huge right mm-hmm. like the eyes on for recruiting. Mm-hmm.
0: So, um, so t- who is that guy, David Robinson?
1: David Robinson, yeah. He played for uh, the San Antonio Spurs, won, uh, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, I think, two NBA championships. Wow. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was funny in Europe because we would go to the World Military Championships or the World Military Games, and it's a little different there because they have compulsory service a lot of these countries. Um, mm. You know, they'll they really won't like, you know, I was in the military and they happened to let me do a sport. These are cases where guys just, you know, do sports and get supported by the military. Yeah. We, we would get a chuckle cause they would be coming out like their uniforms would be, you know, untucked and the covers are on backwards or whatever. And just <laughs> totally, totally clueless. But it was like a, it was like a ITU race. Um, the start list that some of those races you'd be like, Oh Yeah. These guys are all, you know, top-ranked ITU guys. <laughs>
0: yeah, ITU is the International Triathlon Union, and and basically the World Series, and and the European guys I was talking about. I was racing a lot of them at that time, and and I know they'd go do the World Service Games or whatever. And, uh, and so here are you, sort of going. That must have been a bit of a, a whoa. <laughs> should I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, should I be on on this start line? So. <laughs> was there was there a particular race um you know you won all those armed service races and um you know and so now we're kind of up what to 2004 somewhere around there i remember you started sort of winning some you you spent some time in your career focused on the itu racing and and potentially looking at the olympic games i assume um Mm -hmm. and then you transitioned um to the longer stuff. When was that and, and how did you make those decisions? Because it was obviously a, a good decision in hindsight.
1: Yeah. So at the end of 2008, my service um, was up and I kind of met with my boss because I was, I didn't make the Olympics obviously. Uh, I went to trials, um, didn't have a great race. I think I ended up sixth. And, uh, you know, I kind of went back and I I was a little torn, like, do I go back and do what I was supposed to do in the Navy? And I kind of felt like, you know, maybe I owed that because I had this kind of great situation. But, um, I chatted with my boss and he's like, he had actually raced triathlon when he was younger as well. And he said, you know, Tim, you have potential to do something great in triathlon. Um, you know, you're, in all honesty, you're behind your year group in in the Navy and it's going to be really hard to progress your career. And, you know, you shouldn't feel like you owe a, us anything else. You've done what, you know, we, you know, asked and you should, you know, be feel happy about going and chasing your dream if that's what you want to do. And by the way, you, you know, I think you should, because you're talented. So at that point I said, that was another you know, kind of big weight off my shoulders because I did feel that um,
2: hmm.
1: kind of uh, you know it was a stress for me. Yeah,
0: and and situation. you had that loyalty to the Navy. Your right, family exactly. was very heavily involved, yeah. and uh, I can imagine it was like a, a big decision. But it was, you know, and and then we kind of look, and and it was obviously the right decision because within a year you win your a uh, world championship title with the the ITU World Long Course Championship, yeah, right? In yeah, yeah, two thousand and nine. You know,
1: in uh, 2009, I moved to Boulder. Uh, I had, I you know, I figured out I got you know this much money in the bank. I can race for this long uh, because at that time I wasn't winning prize money. I had no paying sponsors, so I was really just going to be spending savings until I can make something work. And um, you know, sometimes <laughs> you know, uh, it, you just need to be put in that position where you have to do it. You know, there's no other option if you want to make this career, if you want to keep doing this, then you have to step up. Mm -hmm. And it was in May of that year that I won my first uh, 70.3. And Mm -hmm. um, actually, that's when I met Rini. And um, I broke uh, Craig Alexander's course record there. And And where was uh, that? That was uh, was in St. Croix.
0: Oh, St. Croix. That's right. You you guys have both had a lot of success there. And and that's right. So, So meeting your wife, Rini, was another massive injection into your sort of really taking this sport on even to another level you know it was like okay i'm going to be a professional athlete oh hang on you know here's this girl that also wants to take on the world and, and uh let's go do it together and and that's kind of what i want to lead into now is that you is you building your relationships and your your team and your people that you've built around you from family and your team of experts just take me through that um you know, you can start with your family, who I know, but, I mean, they're, they're very supportive. And, um, and then, obviously, your team of experts that you've surrounded yourself with.
1: Yeah, well, uh, you know, obviously, Rennie is, you know, the biggest part of all that. And then uh, our daughter, Isabel, mm. who's two years old now. Mm. Um, and then, you know, you know, my parents and my siblings, um, they originally thought I was crazy, kind of leaving this job where I had uh, full health care, you know, possible pension, great pay, <laughs> uh, given that all up to, to ride a bike. But, uh, you know, they've been, they've been great ever since, but really, yeah. I mean, it comes down to having great people around you and, and that's what I've tried to do. Uh, my, you know, my first coach, Cliff English, um, my first professional coach, I would say really brought me to that level, brought me to the point where I could win big races. And, you know, and you now I know you say, all the time GB that a great coach really is someone that can take a person without results and make them an athlete, you know, a champion. And I think Mm -hmm. that's cliff English for sure. And, um, you know, then of course worked with Mark Allen, uh, for several years, which was a great learning experience. But, um, now I have the opportunity to work with a close friend, Julie Dibbens in Boulder and having raced this long, having a coach in person guiding me has been really important. Um, so I'm very grateful for her and the squad. And then, you know, you bring in Aaron Carson, our strength coach, who's been our strength coach for five or six years now. Um, it's just about getting the right people around you.
0: Mm, yeah, I've always, I've always been impressed with both, both you and Rini and your ability to create a good team of people and and finding the right people to work with, um, finding the right people that want the best for you, not just people that are good at their job, but they actually truly their heart is in the right place and and i think you know your personality you definitely you know you attract those people to want the best for you um you know and i think your family they were able to they made it to kona last year right for one of your bigger races
1: they did yes (laughs) my parents came out to kona in 2011 the first year i did kona and um i dnf'd and uh they never came back after that. <laughs> <laughs> so they finally were like, okay, we're coming back. And my sister and uh, her husband, my sister Katie, her husband, and their two kids came. Uh, my brother Thomas, uh, his family was able to get out. So everybody but my brother Matthew, who came the year before, was there. And uh, it was – I, I made it hard for everybody because you know I break my foot. They hadn't booked their tickets yet. They're like, oh, we shouldn't go. We shouldn't go. And then they're like, you know what? Even if he doesn't race, Rennie's gonna race and she's in great shape. so we're gonna go. So literally my parent, my mom calls me. she's like, "We booked the uh, tickets, we're gonna come." You know, Rooney. You know, if you don't race, Rooney's racing, and then uh, the next day, Rooney breaks her elbow. (laughs) Uh, More more cancelled flights. More cancelled
0: flights in the O'Donnell family. There you go, United.
2: (laughs) Yep,
1: take some more. (laughs)
0: Uh, They kept. They they decided to come. They
1: decided to come, and yeah, we're just like you know, you can you can come to a race, and. Uh, Still have a bad race, right? So there's no guarantee that you're going to come, going to come and see a great performance. Um, Mm -hmm. but, uh, so, you know, we just kind of said, Hey, you got to come and just, if you want to come and support and have a vacation in Hawaii, you know, it's, it's Mm -hmm. a race racing aside. It's a pretty great place to be. Right
0: exactly I don't think need yeah. to complain. there's no losers when you, yeah. when you get to go out <laughs> yeah. to Hawaii
1: for a week or two weeks.
0: exactly so you have this strong team and, and and you've been focused you know with Aaron and Julie like you said and obviously your wife Rini and your family um you've managed that well over time tell me a little bit how you've been able to sort of every day with your sleep and recovery because I know you're somebody that takes looks at your recovery side really seriously um and what sort of techniques and advice can you give to the listeners about what you're doing
1: yeah I, well, I mean i think um sleep hands down is the number one um number one thing you can do you know that's really when our body repairs itself um it's not always the easiest thing to do but honestly particularly athletes, everybody's so focused on the workouts they have to do and a lot of it's junk fluff, right? Mm -hmm. Um, If you can just prioritize the important workouts and then prioritize recovering. And I actually wish coaches would actually put more recovery into a training plan because most athletes, if it's written down in their training plans or on training plate peaks or whatever platform they use, Mm -hmm. they're going to do it. Like they see it, they're going to do it. So Mm -hmm. if it's an hour in the uh, compression boots or, uh, you know, an hour uh, in your, uh, add-a-day massage chair, then they're they're going to do it. So uh, you know, I think that's really important to to prioritize that stuff.
0: Well, that's the thing you have you've got your Addeday Bio chair, which you guys are swearing by. You use for warm up before you go out and recovery workouts, and yeah. and then you you've got the Normatech recovery boots, which a lot of us have used for years, um, and they're phenomenal. And and it's like I always say to to Laura, whether they're working or not, they're forcing me to do nothing for an hour right. you know yeah. and and yeah, i think they yeah. do work but the point is 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 it works twofold I, I think there is the compression but it's also look it's forcing me to sit for one hour where i can't do anything because it's hard yep. to get out of them you can't get out and jump around in those things so um but then you do you do hyperbaric work as well you have a hyperbaric chamber i do, do yep yeah, yeah we
1: have um, a hyperbaric chamber in our basement and i think that's really great particularly for being at altitude, and um, so hyperbaric chambers actually bring you to um like a lower like below sea level mm. so the uh the change in pressure actually helps you absorb more oxygen which helps you recover mm. and um yeah i mean i know a lot of like uh some big name uh, big sport guys
0: use it yeah, the as well footballers and they, those yep. kind of guys use them a lot and, yeah, and then i've seen you running around with this thing on your head the the headphones that and how do i describe it so transcranial direct current stimulation is that right
1: yeah that sounds super fancy uh, <laughs> neuro neuro stimulation no yeah halo sport and uh, I, I use that more for for prepping before training and i think mm. i think the important thing is here it's like okay as you get older it's you can't just be like all right i'm gonna train more hours and i'm gonna train harder and push more power on the bike and run faster on the run and that's how i'm gonna get become a better racer mm. you have to think, okay how can I be more efficient? You know, how can I become a more efficient athlete, a smarter athlete? And that comes with recovery and uh, improving efficiency of of your training. And with Halo, um, basically think about it as training your brain, right? So you're stimulating your brain to learn muscle patterns. So if I put it on before a hard bike session or a hard treadmill session, uh, you get an hour window where you're, your brain is going to learn that motion. So if you're if you're learning that high intensity stuff, um, it's going to be uh, it's going to come back easier on race day. So it's, so you it's just
0: you're not learning it otherwise. You think it? Have you noticed a difference with it? It actually,
1: I, I actually have, yeah. Um, and I've noticed um, a better consistency of quality in those sessions where I, where I use Halo. Um, and there's yeah, if you actually head to their site, there's um, some really great studies. Um, cause for, you know, I've been working with them for over three years and I actually sought them out because I was so fascinated by the technology and, you know, my uh, eagerness to find, you know, biohacking or whatever you want to call it, other ways mm-hmm. to uh, become a better athlete. And, um, you know, one of the biggest criticisms was the research, but you know, now there's some fantastic research out there supporting, um, the product.
0: So it works when you go train, but how about when you read a book or something? Can you then just memorize the book? Has it right. helped you with learning? <laughs>
1: yes. all, all of a sudden, you're a concert pianist.
0: <laughs> you speak seven languages. Yeah, Yeah, seven,
1: right. yeah one, one, one. you say. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, it's been used a lot by like special forces guys with um, mm-hmm. uh, with uh, firearms training. And uh, musicians absolutely love it. Drummers, guitar players. Um,
0: yeah fantastic we'll go check it out um and how about nutrition tips what have you got uh what are you doing and who are you using i know you went gluten-free almost before it went trendy um yeah i've been almost a
1: decade of that
0: yeah Uh, yeah
1: and yeah that uh you know unfortunately i have um just a lot of uh autoimmune issues that kind of run in our family Uh, as rinny says uh bad genes Um, so (laughs) I've got some bad genes to deal with. Uh, Shut Uh, up. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Not all of us are (laughs) perfect or Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, that kind of led for me, those diet restrictions. And, um, yeah, in 2019, I actually, um, I spent most of the year without a nutrition partner and that gave me, uh, it gave me the time to figure out what else I need and, um, it gave me the ability to try everything on the market mm-hmm. and not feel like I needed to use something because they were paying me and find what really worked for me. And, um, that led me to UCAN actually, uh, which is, uh, is called a super starch. So basically it's, um, think of about an IV in your arm, right? It's just slowly dripping fluid into your veins. Right. Mm-hmm. And when you take a gel or whatever, it's like a rush of energy, um, but when you use uh, you can as an energy source, it's that slow, constant energy. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's kind of I've always had issues on the run in Kona where I, I, you know, don't really bonk, but I kind of get really flat, mm. and uh, it's just trying to ride the waves of, of how you're taking in your your energy during the race, and if you're just hitting doses of like high. Um, you know, that high glycemic carbs, it's it's really hard to keep it constant. But when I have that baseline nutrition uh, always running and then I hit the high uh, glycemic stuff, it's it seemed like a really just great solution. And, you know, I've been doing that race for, what, eight or nine nine years and you're always learning and, and I really felt that was a big break, breakthrough for me.
0: And so what is that called UCAN? How do you spell that? UCAN. Yeah, U-C-A-N. Okay, that's it. People just look it up online, UCAN.com. Yeah, so com. <clears throat> Awesome. I'll check it out. And then with your body work and your maintenance, I mean, you've got your your, your bio chair and, and things like that. Are you, do you get a lot of chiropractic massage work? Have you got a good team around you? Or how often are you getting work?
1: Yeah, I'm uh, not as, as often as uh, you used to get, bud. But, um
0: <laughs> yeah I was just, uh, like you i was looking for any way to just keep the body right keep yeah going, what keep else going, can going i boy. do what else yeah, can yeah. i do
1: <laughs> no uh, i'm probably twice a week with a massage therapist um once a week with um a chiropractor
0: gotcha yeah for those that don't know there was a point there where i was getting a massage most afternoons and chiropractic once or twice a week yeah yeah uh, even i remember back in 2007 we had a, a live-in uh, young guy, massage therapist, and uh, he was our cook as well. And, uh, and we had an amazing year in 07. And I think having him go get the groceries, do all the cooking, and then every afternoon sort of having 30 minutes to an hour, uh, massage was, was, was really critical in the ability to just keep backing up along with all yeah, the yeah. ice ice bathing and all the other kind of stuff we did. But th- that was huge. And, um,
1: and also just, I think like when you're doing stuff that, you know, other people aren't doing, you get a confidence from that.
0: Oh, absolutely! You know, like, better than walking around. Yeah. Going make, I have my own living cook and massage therapist. Right? Yeah. They, yeah. Well, who do nobody you have? else knows that he's a twenty-three-year-old <laughs> guy that we got cheap that was just helping out. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, but know,
1: they're but like, it, "Wow, man, they're doing." I'm not doing that. No, there's no way I can beat <laughs> that guy. I
0: know. I know. Well, I remember Jan Fidino even said to me a couple of years ago. He said, "Yeah, no, Greg, I remember you telling me that you had a living cook and massage therapist with you." So I now travel with this guy. That I was like, "Ah." Oh. Well, oh, good. I, I I helped him out a little bit. There you are. Yeah, a, yeah. did help me, out, no, buddy. <laughs> oh, come Thanks on. a lot. <laughs> oh yeah. And so, have you? How's your general health? I know you crash bikes a lot, but <laughs> <laughs> you generally you don't get sick very often, right? Are you able to keep on top of all of that?
1: Yeah, you know, with having Izzy, you know, dealing with kids, and I'm sure you know with um, Sydney that uh, it makes things harder, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But we found we're, we're fortunate enough to have a, a live in nanny. So keeping Izzy out of daycare, I think, has been a huge part of keeping her healthy. And then, you know, obviously in turn, mm-hmm. keeping us healthy. But um, yeah, we, you know, Renny is um, very much uh, from a naturopath type of family. So, you know, she's very holistic in her approach. And that's led us to kind of using like things like essential oils and, and that kind of stuff to. Kind of help our everyday um, health and, and
0: wellness. Mm. Yeah, are you doing a lot of blood work? As what well? do you get your blood work done? Are you taking supplements and things?
1: Yep. Yeah, we do uh, supplements from um, a trusted source. Actually, we <laughs> Randy doesn't trust a lot of uh, well any supplements in the U.S. just because of the um, like kind mm-hmm. of lack of structure and 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 approval of the stuff. So we use a pharmaceutical grade um, supplement company in Australia. To make sure we're getting everything that's clean and
0: um, yeah, don't cured. have to worry about doping yeah, or anything
1: like exactly. that exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. cross contamination and things like that
0: yeah yeah. So give me a little insight into your your typical training week. Is it are you still training much the same these days as you were ten years ago? And you know, what does the training week look like for you? It's
1: definitely uh, toned down, uh, particularly right now. I think we've learned that i I can get fit pretty quickly, and you know if and I also can you know, take a lot of training with and keep training well, it doesn't mean it's helping me usually. And then it ends up kind of putting, putting me in a hole, but, you know, I'm so good at just getting the work done that I can kind of mask it to the coaches and they, they think I'm, you know, fine. So uh, we've learned to kind of tone it down at the beginning of the year and we're easing into it. I don't have, um, I'm keeping a light race schedule this year. Uh, You know, I learned last year that, maybe less is more at some point. So, um, yeah, it's pretty good right now. You know, usually two, two sessions a day, these first couple of weeks back and you know nothing, nothing too crazy.
0: And, and, and uh, are you doing another Ironman this year or are you going to just focus on just doing Kona? Uh,
1: yeah, I am. I am going to do one. I can't, um, say which one yet. Um, we're going to make a little announcement, but, uh, yeah, I got, I got one summer, um, summer race that I'm really excited about. So we'll, um,
0: this this show won't be up for a little while. You can tell me now. <laughs> <the
1: MTV>. hey? <laughs> Breaking news.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So you're not gonna tell me then. All right. I can't tell you, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. So going into Kona this year, are you gonna are you gonna bring the Ultra G with you?
1: I, I should, right? I actually yeah. found one. I found one in Kona. Mm. Um so I ran on one race week last year. Uh, and it was at a like a retirement. Um, Is that right? Yeah, facility. So they had it in the rehab center. Yeah, and yeah, um, yeah. so yeah, I think uh, it's going to be part of the program for sure. You know, you can't you can't rely on it all the time. I think at some point you need to get the volume in, you need to get the um, that durability in, in your legs. But like the traditional plan of one like a long run every Sunday or every seven days, I you know. 20 plus mile runs every week, that's a, that's a lot, you know, Mm. and when you have so much in the body, I think it's diminishing returns. You know, you have to be, you need the, you obviously need the long run, but how much of it you need it, particularly in the later part of your career, I think it needs to really be considered.
0: Mm. You seem like you've got a pretty good grasp now going forwards, um, you know, physically and what about the mental side? How, are you working a lot on your visualizing or affirmations? Or I know you spent some time with Mark Allen. Um, yep. And we, we've talked about him already in the show. But how have you been able to sort of, you know, you mentioned Boulder Ironman 2019 when you, you're your ability to change your mind to a, from a negative to a, a neutral or positive
2: mm-hmm. is
0: is not easy under duress, but you've been able to do it, and you must be getting better and better. Are you rehearsing that, or are there any techniques that you can offer listeners, or is it just something that you just I don't know you're you're winging it.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> well, I think a lot of it comes with experience. Um, I've done a lot of uh, self hypnosis in the past, and uh, I think that's been that was key when I was younger to really figure out how to get into that headspace self-hypnosis
0: so tell me yep. a little bit about that sorry I'm...
1: yeah it's kind of i mean um it's uh basically just puts you in a relaxed state uh, almost like it's it's pretty similar to meditation to be honest um but it it just really turns into a vis- visualization kind of guided visualization um and you know you can go and you can go to a hypnotherapist and do custom programs or you can go online. And, um, you know, there's companies that just have like kind of generic, um, self hypnosis plans. But I really felt like that helped me a lot, um, a few years ago, but now it's, you know, it's more about just, um, just really being introspective to be honest and, uh, understanding what you have to do and understanding what it takes to get there. Um, and staying in the moment. And I I think Mark is absolutely right about kind of being quiet. Um, if you're trying to force something, if you're trying to force positivity, it's, it's just harder. Right. But if you, and it all come, it all comes down to preparation, right? If you come into your, your race, your event properly prepared, it gets a lot, you know, that and it gets a lot easier to get into that quiet, um, quiet and calm space.
0: It's a, it's, a, it's an area that I'm really intrigued about um, because I remember I really started focusing heavily on visualizing in about 06, 07, um, and I'd had a reasonable winning rate until that point. But when I started visualizing um, – and, and visualizing on the massage table, or just when I was lying down, or when I was out physically moving like during a workout, I would create all the players and you know everyone's in my head, and I'd have a yeah. commentator going and and I'd create race scenarios um, and I found that through really strong imagery and and visualizing that even if I was on the massage table, I could be having a physical effect on the body by creating almost a hormonal response, you know, because I'd, I'd be creating this kind of like um, the the arousal. And I'm so talking about <laughs> on a massage table. But, but uh, Wait, what are we what are Hang, we hang on, now? hang on. <laughs> no, but you could get your head into the space. And, and I almost felt like one of the reasons I was able to sort of change my winning rates and, you know, sort of being that sort of 5 to 10% to closer to 50% sort of from 07 to 2012 was largely because I I'd already seen it happen so many times that that I that I'd reinforced it with the physical side of my training that it was making it happen over and over again yeah. but I was also doing it on the static if you like on the massage table and I was getting a physical response even when I wasn't working out because of the hormones and it's it's just something that I I'm truly intrigued by and everybody that I've spoken to on this show approaches it differently but still right. I think I've broken it down into, you know, in, a, a technique, if you like. But you have your own technique. You just haven't described it in in such detail. But right. it's kind of like that ability to see something and then to make it happen. And and that, well, I, you know,
1: I, I think I think like me personally, I maybe I underestimate how much I do, um, just because you spend so much time by yourself either riding or in the pool or you can't talk to anybody or running. And it's all, I mean, those, it's like a film always playing in your head, right? Like Mm. there isn't a day that goes by that. I don't think about Hawaii, you know, that that I don't think about that race. So, um, yeah, sometimes I guess when it's (laughs) like visualizing that and planning that out is such a part of every day that you don't even realize it. I mean, this, this past Kona, when I was in that breakaway with Jan and, um, alistair there's a couple other guys at the beginning i was like all right this is it this is what we rehearsed you know like this is the scenario like this is our a plan right now so don't mess it up
0: <laughs> yeah don't go to b plan <laughs> yeah right yeah <laughs> yeah so you you had you seen that had you actually thought about it being yarn and alistair on the bike with you had that uh, been yeah yeah thing?
1: for sure like yeah oh. uh who was in the group
0: Josh Amberger, yeah Josh, and, uh,
1: yeah, Josh was in that. Uh, Maurice Clavel was kind of the only. Maurice um, yeah, yeah. He, he wasn't in my specific like thought, but there was like okay, there's probably going to be one other two European guys. You know, you can guarantee there's going to be another European guy there.
0: Mm-hmm. Like
1: you know, they're always wanting to ride hard.
0: And it's exciting, isn't it? When you when you've visualized for so long a, a scenario, and it is your A plan, and and then it's it's unfolding. As, yeah. as as you'd hoped um and so what does that look like going into 2020 i mean one of the things that seems to me that stands out the most of 2019 was that you took all the pressure off your shoulders so yeah. how do you go into 2020 with staying calm and not putting pressure on your shoulders is it just a matter of telling yourself that is it something you need to work on with your visualizing to go hey no pressure just get out there and enjoy it and be and have gratitude you know that was one of the yeah. you used and
1: yeah yeah well yeah, i think gratitude again um is an important part um honestly i've just decided the fact that i'm going to be out there at 40 like and i'm i'm going to be in the running is pretty freaking cool right like mm. um, just just enjoy that, that that you know um and then you know we talk about visualization like i've All the time, like I think about winning that race and like – and then I just get like fired up and I'm like, you know, in your training and you're like all of a sudden you're going too hard and like you just have to – like I've also learned that I have to kind of calm that because Mm -hmm. all of those like spikes and adrenaline and endorphins, um, those are little like – you know, it's death by a thousand cuts throughout the year, right? Like Mm -hmm. you have 365 days in between that race. You know, if, if you're always kind of draining your body with those little moments, um, it's hard to have all of that still in you and ready to put out on race day. So I've kind of also learned to be calm in training a little bit too in terms of when I visualize, visual, uh, visualize and not get mm. that Ms. super Ms. excitement.
0: Laura used to put a ban on me visualizing in January, February, March, April because she's like you go too yeah. hard, you know. Yeah, it's, and I, and it's I, like training. I yeah, I had to just turn up, do the training, keep keep the mind quiet, do the work, tick yeah. the box and and go home and and once I start once I get over preseason races, which was often that sort of April May type races and I wanted to start getting ready for the big ones, then we could start triggering it a little bit and just yeah. to top up the training and and it's almost like with you, I guess looking at the year is you know, when you, when you want to start getting to that race specific, maybe when you get down to Kansas or, or whatever with that, yep. with three, four weeks to go. Oh, Okay. Now I can trigger a yep. little bit.
1: Yeah. It's so true. And <laughs> yeah. uh, it's funny because like the younger guys, like Justin Metzler, like with, uh, Julie's squad, mm. like the whole year I'm kind of like, uh, kind of reserved and like, not like super stressed and, um, just kind of ticking along, you know, I don't mind swimming at the end of the lane and stuff. And then in that eight-week build for Kona, it's like get out of my way. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> I'm leading this lane. Like you're not riding with me. Like I'm doing this. Like it's total change in mindset. And uh, they just kind of laugh to see that that switch go on. But you know, I've learned like I can't I can't be in that space for 52 weeks. You know, nice. it's just it's too much for me. And like I <sighs> I think some people are that good that they can. Um, but for me, I'm, I've like, you know what? I can be the best one day of the year in Hawaii. I really think I can be the world champion. And that's all I'm going to worry about. You know, I don't I don't need to get caught up in anything else.
0: It's exhausting if you try and do it. Yeah. And the older you get, I noticed the older I got was – no, I can't. When I was in my twenties, yeah, push all year round, race thirty times yep. a year, doesn't matter. Um, into my thirties, back the racing off a little bit, but it was still that energy that was just like, okay. And really, I noticed late thirties and into my early forties, it was really like, whoa, no, you've got. If if you're allowed yep. to have five hundred races, or the, you know, if you and you're going to do hundred of them, well, you, you've got five good ones left. So calm down and hit them right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah. It's helped me in training too because. I've always been just trying to force, I've always tried to force my training by just like training harder. Mm. And now that I'm like a little calmer, especially in the early season, I've figured out how to like, particularly swim or run faster, more efficiently, right? So, you know, you're staying relaxed and you're just building in, you're using your stroke and uh, your technique to make you a better, faster athlete, not just trying to muscle through it and running the same way you know being able to you know uh get that hip extension and you know get that that pop from your your fascial system Mm. to really um propel you along
0: and how how much confidence did you get from last year's kind of ironman world championships like did that like i know you'd been third before fourth fifth sixth eighth you'd 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 then last year's performance did did that kind of out of all of the results you've had there, and of all of the results in your career, you've won big Ironmans before. You've won numerous 70.3s, Your resume's yeah. stacked with wins. But that race—did you walk away from that feeling a couple of inches taller? Was that one that was like, "Huh, I actually really am." Yeah.
1: Um, you know, I hate—I don't like to define myself by any, you know, race or you know what I do. But yeah, I mean, that was definitely a special day. Um, and actually, it was just this morning when I was swimming that uh i was like uh, kind of was losing a little bit of focus and i was trying to get back onward you know, a long set and uh you know i said oh well you know what are you gonna do you you, you, know, you want to win kona and then i kind of realized what well, actually i don't want to win i can win and mm. that was you know now i'm in the first place where i'm not like i want this but i can do this i think that's a good mind shift or mind mindset shift
0: i love that i love that actually i i I'm going to have to use that on the audiogram when it comes out. <laughs>
1: That's okay. I quote you all the time, buddy. I, yeah. I, I usually try to give you credit.
0: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I never give you credit. I take it as my own all the time. <laughs> That's fantastic, mate. And have you got any sort of gear recommendations? We've touched on quite a few you know, things that you use in nutrition and, and um, recovery and that yeah. kind of thing. Any other thing you want to give the the listeners that, look, hey, you need to consider adding this into your your daily routine or, training to optimize what you're doing
1: yeah i mean i think um you know i'd love everybody to try hoka running shoes that's for sure um Mm -hmm. i think uh, anybody that deals with injuries or um, inability to um, stay consistent with their run training um those shoes have gotten people that running that haven't been running for a long time so uh, i think it's a pretty special um special brand and uh you know they got some pretty fast carbon plated shoes as well for those uh speed demons out there
0: yeah (laughs) i know how do they compare i mean it seems the there's the nike shoe that seems to have been a big hit with people have you tried that shoe to compare it the the style because it seems like it's hoka versus nike with the best you know yeah yeah fastest shoe and um
1: yeah i haven't i haven't tried that that shoe um you know, you know, everybody that runs and it seems to love it. Um, but I think it's also a running style thing. Mm-hmm. You know, if you – with those kind of um, – those rebound specific shoes where they have that lot of that foam, like that pop from the foam, um, you know, if you if your form falls apart, I don't think you're going to get that same uh, benefit as you would if you're, you know, running like Rennie.
0: Yeah, yeah we hate Rini, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Whatever.
1: She's the worst, isn't she? She's the worst. <laughs> Just kidding. Love you. Love you.
0: <laughs> That's great, mate. And any other, I mean, you're training in Noosa now, Boulder, um, Kansas. You seem to have found a pretty good uh, system here. You Any other places in the world you encourage people to go try out for training or are they the best three?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, they're definitely my my favorite three. Uh, we're actually gonna go to Vegas in February for two weeks with uh Julie and the and the crew.
0: Oh, fun! Uh, haven't I haven't done a
1: training camp out there. Oh, yeah, come oh, on! At the out. training
0: camp? No, forget right about <laughs> it.
1: <laughs> we'll, we'll hit the craps table. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, what's the lake Mead out there? Is it or yeah, yeah, it, yeah, that's where they step yeah, seventy
0: point three world champions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's so great. it's good
1: riding out there for sure. Um, yeah, I think we're staying a little bit out of town, so there won't be too much temptation
0: But oh, then um, i won't bother at least
1: it's in the year, right <laughs> what's that really in the year right if you pop pop into the casino so yeah
0: okay. you need to relax a little bit right. mate yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and just quickly before i let you go um i know you've been very involved with charities and and things who are you working with these days i feel like you, you've got a couple of charities that you're always working for
2: yeah i've
1: been a longtime partner for team red white and blue which is um a uh, veterans organization that uh You know, kind of helps uh, enrich the lives of veterans when they've, you know, come back from overseas. And uh, it really provides local communities um, to, you know, give people uh, that support at home um, and, you know, kind of more uh, consistently. You know, it's not just one big effort, one great thing for a veteran. It's, hey, here's a network in your town you can um, lean on for things you need. And then, uh, Ritty and I have been investors for the Ironman foundation as well, uh, the past couple of years. And that's been a lot of fun just because, you know, Ironman rolls into town. Uh, it's a big, it's a big ask on, on any local community. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the foundation focuses on, um, uh, local charities and cities that they race in. So, you know, we'll go, uh, build, uh, build houses in Santa Rosa after, um, after the fires a couple of years ago, things like that. So oh, wow. it's giving back to the communities that support uh, our races.
0: Good man. No, it's I've I've seen you work with those guys for years and always had truly respected you for all that. Um, so how do people follow you now? If uh, you know, I know you've got the show, the Tim and Rini and Izzy show, right on YouTube. Yep, Tim
1: and Rinny show on uh, YouTube. Um, definitely subscribe to our channel and then uh, T O and try is my Twitter and uh, Instagram okay. handle. Um, okay. And I just found out the kids don't use the word handle anymore, I guess.
0: For, What's it called for Instagram. now? I don't know. <laughs> just don't, don't say know. it. Just don't, just don't say it. it. You sound old. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah you just <laughs> <laughs> sound
1: like a trucker. That's
0: your handle. Oh, that's hilarious, mate. Well, Tio, this has been absolute pleasure for me to have you on the show and, and to hear so many insights for how you approach things physically, mentally emotionally um so thanks mate i really really appreciate oh, yeah, it my
1: pleasure.
0: yeah thanks everybody and, uh, for listening
1: yeah it's always great uh, you know uh, athletes love to talk about themselves right so um, I'm sure you'll have no, no no problem getting uh, <laughs> guests on the show
0: no problem at all <laughs> people are lining up hey can i talk about myself for an hour yeah. that's good <laughs> yeah all right mate stay on the line awesome. thanks everybody for listening and uh until the next time take care